Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, in through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth through Value Add Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Ashley Wilson from Philadelphia. Ashley is a specialist in asset and construction management. She's an asset manager and also taking care of construction as well. So it's going to be a very interesting discussion. Uh she's a GP in 350 units and also have invested as an LP and working on deals on her own as well. So which is an awesome. Hey Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Good, good. Have you been on podcast before? Yes. Okay. A lot of podcasters so or Yes. One, okay, good, good. So it looks like you're becoming a, <laughs> uh, uh, you're going through that podcast circuit, I guess, right? So, yes, I have been on the podcast circuit for a little okay. while now. Yeah. Okay, good, good. So a lot of times when I bring guests into my uh, podcast show, I usually bring operators, which is people who are buy deals. who does the raising money who does the asset management as well and who also do the you know the rest of the investor relationship as well a lot of times some people do not do the third party property management or in house property management they are not vertically integrated but some are but uh, you know you are special because now you are an asset manager and you also do construction can you tell us a bit more about your role as an asset manager and construction manager absolutely so What I like to tell people about operations on multifamily is operations are very important in a down market they are the most important and what I like to specialize in is everything from once a property goes under um contract even prior to that uh looking at the numbers making sure that we account for how things actually happen as opposed to just accepted um statistics in multifamily in terms of underwriting because every market's different and the way in which you operate a property can be vastly different from market to market so being very well versed on what things work within a s- specific market accounting for it within underwriting then uh verifying it during the due diligence process and then ultimately operating according to the business plan or if the business plan needs to be adjusted to make a better value for the property and an ultimately a better return for the investors is what I'd like to you know that's what I enjoy doing the most the property the real estate component a multifamily is what excites me i know some people really enjoy networking with investors and you know going to dinners and doing all of those things while that can be very exciting it's really exciting to me the property and how much money i can squeeze out of a property that's what i enjoy doing 
Got it, got it. I, I'm an asset manager as well, so I really appreciate what you're saying because yeah, you can go around and you know raise money from people. You do a lot of advertising, marketing to you know to get people to you know give money to invest, and and a lot of people give up on that, right? But you know, once you close on the deal. Executing the business plan is the harder part, right? Uh, it's not. It's not the closing the deal. It, a lot. Of, it's easy to close a deal, especially pre-COVID when markets peak. There's so much of money chasing multifamily. Uh, there's so much of bootcamp, and so many people want to invest. Right? There's, everybody has this FOMO effect. But you're right. I mean, executing the business plan is hard, right? And I've seen a lot of people who was like very motivated before closing because they tell all the fun story, but after closing, they're very quiet or they. They don't really talk about their performance on their property, right? Nobody really declares about their property performance because you know it's hard to really do post uh, closing uh, execution, right? So let's talk about this asset management fee and a lot of and some passive investors, especially new one who comes in, ask me why are you taking asset management fee, right? What about why not asset manager is the same as property manager? Can you differentiate between that? I mean, I can add my things and. Differentiate property management and asset management. Yes. So there's a couple of questions there. I think that an investor is seeking an answer to the first being the difference between the two positions, property managers and asset managers. A lot of times when you speak to people who own multifamily, they see that a property manager works for an asset manager. I do not see that the same way. I see it as we're a team and we work together. And the only way you can achieve your business plan optimally is working in conjunction and partnering. And ultimately, the asset manager has a different client, number one client that they're answering to. They're answering to the investors. The property managers, they're answering to the tenants. And they're making sure that the property is the best property for that particular tenant, that demographic. And if someone doesn't really understand everything that a property manager is doing, a property manager, in my opinion, is comparable to a teacher. They have more things on their plate than they have hours in a day. They are doing marketing, they're doing general service complaint calls, etc., for the property. So they're managing the current tenant base while also trying to attract a new tenant base and also trying to execute a business plan for the ownership group. It is very, very difficult to do, um, especially in terms of the metrics, the national metrics for property managers, uh, number of property managers per unit. Typically, it's one inside, one outside per 100 units. So for example, a 100 unit property would have one interior property manager and then one uh, maintenance person on site for every 100 units you have. That is That can happen on a property that is a stabilized asset. But a lot of times, especially the properties that I go after, they're value-add assets. So there are things firing on all cylinders because there's deferred maintenance that we're tackling. There's tenants that should not be in the property that were put in the property probably by previous ownership. So they're really trying to tackle a lot of different things. The asset manager, on the other hand, the asset manager answers to the investors. The asset manager is the person responsible for protecting your investment. They're responsible for maximizing the dollar that every single dollar that's placed in that apartment. You know, we want to try to get two times that dollar, three times that dollar, up, you know, 10 times that dollar. That's what we're trying to do every single investment we make on a property. So what we're doing is we are the added layer of protection looking to make sure that the day-to-day operations are not only executing that business plan that you have in place, but also maximizing the investment. And 
I say that and it sounds like a broken record, but truly that is what an asset manager does. And there are so many things to make sure that you're doing from vetting contractors, making sure that you're getting the best um, price on the renovation to it's very strategic when you're doing renovations, how you should do the renovations, how much you should do, how little you should do, what rents you can charge, what's the absorption rate, how what's what is the market comparables in that market that you can push the rents. There are so many different components. I could probably talk for an hour alone on just different components that I look at even on a daily basis, let alone on a weekly or monthly or quarterly basis. So to me, it's a full-time job. That is why personally, I've been able to execute business plans a lot faster than... you know. I've had two properties where I've had to execute a business plan. On the first property, it was a two-year business plan with a refi in year three. And I was able to execute it all under budget within a year. So I think that's pretty impressive. And then on my most recent property, it was a four-year business plan that after we executed the renovation over four years, then we were, or excuse me, at the end of three years, we would refinance in year four, and we were able to execute the business plan in a year, actually less than a year, and also under budget. So that is the difference between having someone oversee your investment on the asset manager side and work in conjunction with a property management team. I've been very blessed to have an incredible property management team that I work with on these properties. So for us now, um, we have systems in place to make it even easier to execute everything we do. Got it, got it. So let me summarize what uh, Ashley just mentioned, right? So asset managers basically you know, approve, execute property budgets. They look at property financials reporting and making sure the budgets are met. At the same time, they also have to make sure that you are able to execute what you thought in the beginning, whatever performer and whatever the uh, original sponsor has plan for that and they have to make sure they hit that per as per the budget as well right so do you work any part of it as part of the investor side of it like investor tax document any other things on the investor portal and all that or is it all that a sponsor takes care of it and asset managers just on the asset well i also am a sponsor i i sign on loans i also i am not just doing okay. asset management. Okay. So in terms of, um, and I've also brought my own investors in on deals as well. Mm-hmm. So in terms of um, being fully involved, soup to nuts of, you know, whether or not we execute a cost segregation study, um, getting the K-1s out, getting mm-hmm. all the information. I provide all the reports to the investors. I'm the one who creates all the reports for the investors. Um, so really I'm doing soup to nuts I do it in a very granular fashion. So I'm a full-time real estate investor. I think you know there is a lots of opportunity for people to get in multifamily um, while working a W-2. And um, there's a point in which you absolutely need to transition. I don't know how someone could keep up with all the work that you need to do um, for an asset manager of a larger property when you are also juggling a W-2. On maybe a more stabilized asset, uh, you could probably do that. But in terms of the volume, if you want to scale, ultimately what you would be looking to do is to do it full-time, which is what I do. So in terms of prepping everything that the investor needs for you know whether it's preparing their taxes or doing things for the property, I just really make sure that I'm the glue that puts all those pieces together. 
Got it, got it. So let's go a bit more technical here, right? So you have a plan from the sponsor, right? Say, so when you're working as part of the sponsorship team as well, and now you said, actually, you're going to asset manage this, right? And we talk about absorption rate and renovation progress, right? So let's go into each one of those. And you say like four to five key indicators that you look at. Can we just quickly summarize that? What are the four, four to five key indicators that you look on either daily or weekly basis? Okay, so first, I also wanted to mention that despite my how many properties I have, I also consult with other other sponsorship groups. What they'll do is they'll have they'll bring me in, and I will basically audit their property, and I will point out all the things that they could improve upon. So there are things that I look at when I'm auditing other other sponsors' deals. And then there are also things that I look at on a daily basis for my property. I can speak to the things that I think probably most people who asset manage, they don't have the time to look at things on a daily basis. So they're probably looking at more on a weekly basis. So I'll share what I look at on a weekly basis sure. because what I look at daily versus what I look at weekly, what is what I work at, look at monthly and quarterly are completely different. So what I look at on a weekly basis is obviously I'm going to look at my traffic. I'm going to look at my occupancy. I'm going to look at move-ins and move-outs. I'm going to look at work orders. How many of those work orders are emergency work orders, categorizing the work orders, time of resolution, and then in terms of repeat work orders and or the... um, the reviews of the work orders. So in terms of whether or not someone would give the work order a five-star review you know, or one-star, those are things I'm looking at. I'm also looking on the traffic side, where my where's my traffic originating from by source and what's my conversion rate on those sources. So that way I know very thoroughly which traffic sources are working, which traffic sources aren't. I also look at on a weekly basis specials within the market to make sure that my property remains competitive. I look at my renewal rate. I look at a lot of different things. I'm trying to see if I'm remembering every single aspect, everything that I look at. But ultimately, what I'm trying to do is I'm looking at the property in such a detailed fashion as if I was operating the property you know, with boots on the ground. So that way I can make little adjustments immediately when I see that there's a need as opposed to waiting until... Let's say, for example, I plugged a lot of money into a marketing campaign that I don't see working um, You know, three weeks in. I'm going to yank that marketing campaign as opposed to keep it running for six months and lose that investment when I could have plugged it into a resource that's giving me a higher conversion rate and higher traffic. So that's really the things that I'm looking at. I'm looking at what's how to influence the people who are coming into the property and how to influence the people to stay at the property. Got it, got it. So let's talk about renovation per unit, right? I mean, before you close on the property, I mean, let's say, for example, 5,000 per unit, right? And post-closing, how do you track how's that 5,000 per unit budget being tracked? How do you know that's very effective in terms of your rent growth and your NOI growth and meeting your business plan? So when I go into a property, I know exactly what I'm going to do to that unit. And day one, I pick every single finish that I want for that property. So that's inclusive of, you know, if I'm going to change the flooring, I pick out the exact flooring I want. I pick out the paint, I pick out everything. And then what I do with my management company is we, because I'm not located in Texas and my properties are located in Texas, we've put implemented systems where we've implemented systems where we have a tracking system. So it initiates what units are available to be renovated and what condition they're in. And then we put together a package on 
what that particular unit needs. So I know to a penny how much that unit costs to be renovated. And then ultimately what I do is then I track the progress of the unit through pictures before pictures, during and after pictures. So I can see the progress of the unit. And then I can see what the total cost of the unit, if there are any change orders. Typically, I don't have change orders unless there's something extremely grave at the property that is unexpected. But I've been in construction long enough to know I'm raised by a general contractor who's had his own business for over 40 years. I'm very well versed in construction that I know how to negotiate prices. I also have a lot of context so I can get prices down uh, pretty, pretty well. So in terms of verifying afterwards, I then confirm the cost per the unit. And then I have my own tracking system to ensure that I stay below budget. And that's how I've been able to stay below budget on all of my projects. So let's, let's go into that process, right? So now you have a unit that you're going to renovate. And I presume the property manager is the one that are going to give you the budget on the progression of whatever being spent on that unit. Is that right? Well, what I do is I package it. So I know, for example, what there's two things in construction. It all comes down to labor and material. I know how much material is going to cost me. And we have a checklist on what that individual unit needs. So I already know up front what the material is going to cost me. And then what it comes down to is what the labor is going to cost me. And in terms of the price per labor, everyone should know how much it costs to switch out an outlet, how much it costs to switch out a fixture, how much it costs to paint a room. I know all of these numbers. So if someone says to me, okay, this unit costs this much and it's over budget, I can then question them and say, why is it over budget? And they'll say, because you know our guys spent three more hours. Well, why did they spend three more hours on this on this unit versus another unit. Oh, well, there's there were some issues. Well, you walk that unit in advance, you knew what the unit condition looked like. And, you know, if it's, let's say it's painting, you knew, if, like, unless I pre- replaced, like, I put up a whole new wall or took out a wall and I reframed it, like, you knew what what the estimate was. You knew the um, square footage of the wall that you were going to paint. We have it priced for room. So it's very easy for me to argue because I know it's such at a granular level that I can get the price down. That's how I confirm that I stay on budget is to know that know all of the prices to that level. So you're, you're assuming that, or maybe you already have this, a really good crew, which is working as what was planned, right? Otherwise, uh-huh. you're going to always question them why you guys are late because that's another period. That's another variable, right? You have schedule, right? I mean, you have your materials, yes. you have labor costs, but they can take forever to finish one uh, unit. Uh, how do you keep track of that uh, one unit renovation? So we have, in terms of scheduling, we have certain times in which we release a certain amount of units and then they get them to renovate. I have worked with contractors for years now across all different types of properties, single family, multifamily. And if one thing I've learned across along that process is that when you work with, with someone for the first time, you're not going to give them an entire job. You're going to give them a piece of a job and you're, they're going to have to prove themselves to get the rest of the job. These contractors, when I have large multifamily properties, they want the entire job. So they're going to work very diligently at the beginning um, and hopefully throughout the entire project, but they're going to most likely they're going to work very diligently at the very beginning. So I will give them a little piece of what I need them to do in terms of the grand scope, but I'm not going to give them the whole scope of the project initially when I have no track record with someone. So I'll give them a little piece of the pie at the beginning. If they prove themselves, I'll give them a little piece more. If there's any issues up front, I just pull that crew and get a new crew immediately. So I minimize my risk of loss and I minimize my risk of loss of time. 
So that's loss of time and a loss of dollar amount. And honestly, time is also equatable to dollar amount too. So that way I just minimize the risk across both. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what we do as well. I mean, we usually hire for a few new projects. We hire like two, three crews and give them a small portion and see who's doing the best and kick out the other two and keep one and keep on giving them the work, which is a good, good validation of what we do too. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that. <laughs> and what about the, uh, how do you work with the property managers on site? Because you can't be on site. So you need a lot of communication unless the contractor is giving you the data directly to you through some kind of Excel spreadsheet both. or you're having meeting with, with them. So you're doing both? Yes, both. Okay. First, um, before I got into real estate, I worked in pharmaceutical pharmaceuticals. I worked in clinical research and development and I worked on global clinical trials. So, um, I worked on studies all over the world and I had to leverage technology. So my entire professional career, entire working career has always been in a virtual capacity. I have become very well-versed on how to work remotely and I've put into play different things to make it very advantageous for me to work remotely by leveraging technology. I've taken that same approach and applied it to multifamily. Before I got into multifamily, I built up a very successful high-end flipping business in the suburbs of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I did that whole business while living in Europe. So even though I lived in Europe, I created a flipping company while living back in the States. I've taken the same approach and I've done the same thing in you know Philadelphia suburbs now back in the state living in the states and my properties are in Texas. To be honest with you, it was a lot harder when I was working in Europe creating the flipping company that I'm faced with today. I already had all of the systems that I built up on the flipping company and I've just been able to apply them on the multifamily side of things. And fortunately, there's only an hour time difference as opposed to I had anywhere between a six to nine hour difference because at one point I was living in Russia. So it's been very easy for me to make that transition. I have never had any single time where I said, oh, I wish I was like right down the street from the property because the way in which I react and manage would not change um, by being on the property. You don't need to be physically at the property. Now, do I still go down to the property? Yes, I go down to the properties quarterly to check on the property. Also, I think there's much to be said about the relationship that's built between your on-site team and the ownership group. And I think it's really paramount if you want to run a successful uh business, which multifamily is real estate and a business. So I don't discount that, but I definitely think that your um, operations, as long as you have an excellent team, which we make sure that we always put a really great team in place that you, you still can be successful. How do you test rent growth versus your rehab? In terms of how much I can push the rent prior to completing the project or yes. afterwards for absorption? Uh, for absorption. So basically, you know, you, there's a certain limit of rent growth based on the rehab that you're doing, based on the rehab that you're doing, right? So how do you Correct. test that? How do you test? How do you test how much so you I'm, can get based on the rehab that you're doing? So I'm huge into understanding the market demographics. So what I do is I spend a lot of time researching market comparables. I look at if I was a tenant, you know, if I was a prospective tenant, what properties would I look at and why? What property would attract me? Would I be willing to pay an extra $10 more for property A versus property B? And what are their amenities? We live in an amenity-based society right now where people love the bells and whistles that properties provide. They love having a pool. They love having laundry in their unit. They love having, um, like in Texas, carports or garages. There are certain amenities that 
based on the market, draw people in. And that changes by market. That doesn't mean just because you're in Texas, everyone wants a carport. Some some places they don't care. They're not going to pay extra for. You really need to understand your market very thoroughly and then compete with what that market wants. If the market is a tech-based market, maybe you should implement thermostats that are able to be controlled with your phone or laundry facilities that are able to be controlled by your phone. If you're not in a tech-based market, if you're in maybe a secondary tertiary market, I'm not saying all secondary tertiary markets, but I'm just saying if you're not you know, as close to a a major MSA or a primary market, they might not be as well-versed in technology and they might not see why they would pay extra. It's really about understanding the market, understanding what is renting in a market, what properties have high occupancy, what their rents are at, what their specials are at, what amenities they have, and then trying to compete on that level. I walk the other properties. So when I go um, tour the area, I always make sure to tour other properties and see what their unit interiors look like, what their exteriors look like. I want to secret shop these properties because I want to understand what a prospective tenant's looking at. I want to understand how they are greeted by their staff. I want to understand if a market is Hispanic speaking, let's say, right? And they want someone to greet them in Spanish and they want a Texas, a TAA contract in Spanish, like a Texas Department Association and con you know, a contract in Spanish, lease contract. So these are, they're very little things. The devil's in the details. It's really important that you understand the details of the market and then you ensure that you are exploiting them on your property. So people want to live on your property. You're providing a better value than competing properties. And that's how I test it. So then I can see, okay, this property, they're not doing granite counters, but they're getting a $100 rent bump over what we had initially projected. So we don't need to go with granite counters. Maybe our business plan had granite counters in it. And we don't need to go with granite counters because I know the market will pay $100 more, even despite the fact that they have granite counters. So some people like to over-improve. It's no different in flipping. People do the same thing in flipping all the time. You really need to understand not how little you can put in to put it, get the maximum value, but in a sense, that is true. So my question is, follow-up question to what I answered, I, I, I asked just now is like, for example, let's say an ownership group come for you for a consultant, right, uh, to, to do consultation. And they said, hey, we plan for 3000 per door into your rehab and we want to get $150 uh, rent bomb and that was our plan and now you are coming in and how do you communicate to them that that three thousand dollars is not going to get 150 rent bomb have you been in that kind of situation yes, i have been in that situation and i've been in the situation where i've been given a business plan and i went down and did due diligence with this ownership group as a consultant and i said hey this is not what you want to do you want to do x y and z and you're going to get this rent bump instead and it's a better return on your investment. So I think it's very hard to argue with numbers, right? Okay. So I understand I'm underwriting very thoroughly. And all I have to do is take their underwriting and plug in what I think the business plan should be and show them their underwriting versus mine. And ultimately, I think that that kind of speaks volumes to speak in that language most people who are in multifamily, I would say, are very proficient with mathematics and finance and understanding underwriting, especially if they're um, the key principle. So if you're dealing with the key principle, the operator, um, you really just have to speak their language 
And ultimately, they should want the best return on their investment. So I've never had anyone disagree with the strategies I've recommended. Uh, no one's really taken it negatively at all. No, but how, how if they already close on the deal and you're coming now and you think that it's not, it's not realistic? In terms of it not being realistic and squeezing the dollar out, that really comes into a lot of people don't bring on a construction manager. And I think that's a huge short shortcoming on a, a team. I think that a lot of people try to shortcut that position because they think they can outsource construction management to a third-party vendor. I think third-party vendors, when you hire a construction manager, they're paid off of the cost of the total construction. And therefore, they are not motivated by the same reasons that your team is motivated, which is to you know, get the highest return for your investment. So ultimately, my suggestion to them is that they need to bring on a construction manager. If they don't want to bring on me, which I, I'm not into like, I'm not doing this to sell myself. I'm doing this to help people. I find that the more people I help, it comes back to me. I never have to worry about it. So I, I just say to them that I recommend bringing a construction manager in who is motivated by the same reasons as them. I get approached often to be compensated as a construction manager from like a flat fee. And my comment back to them is if I take this, then I'm a hypocrite because what I'm telling you is that you should bring someone on who is motivated by the same reasons. The only way you will find someone who's motivated by the same reasons if they have a piece of the GP equity, because then the more work they do and the more they put into it, the more they get on the back end. And that's why you should have you should have someone on the construction management side. And the reason I propose having someone on the construction management side is those are the type of people who not only can negotiate something, but I like to I've using this use this example in other podcasts where I call it the um the uh porch deck scenario or whatever you want to call it. But basically what I'm saying is that you can go to a property and on the property you have a a patio. And on that patio, it's a second floor patio. And uh, when you do the due diligence, you have a contractor who comes in and says, all of these have to be ripped down and they have to be re-poured and the framing has to be redone and you need new posts and new joists and new concrete slab. Okay. That is one way to fix it, right? But there's another way to fix it. And that contractor is not doing you a disservice by telling you that. They're doing it because when they do their due diligence, they are not giving you advice based off of a hold period. They're not assuming that you're going to hold the property. They probably don't even know how long you intend to hold the property for. Whereas some, a member of your team is going to know, okay, we're trying to exit this property in three years or exit this property in five years. And really what could happen instead is you sure up one of the posts or two of the posts and you have all these cracks on the patio, but really it's a facade and it could be, could be just resurfaced and it'll get you through maybe five to 10 years, but you plan to exit the property in three years. So it won't be that big of a deal and it won't be that big of a risk. And you're talking the difference between maybe a three to $5,000 repair job versus 500. By having someone who not un- only understands the process of construction, but understands the different mechanisms in which to solve problems and negotiate, that's what you're looking for in a construction manager. You're not looking for someone who's just good at managing construction and knows a very high level of construction. You're looking for someone who really knows the details of construction because that is the way they provide the most amount of value to you. I mean, there is a reason why I've been able to save 
hundreds of thousands of dollars on CapEx budgets, hundreds of thousands. And it's because, you know, I know construction like this. And I'm not just saying like to my own horn, I'm saying you should seek someone. If you're not going to seek me, you should seek someone like me who is going to save you hundreds of thousands of dollars and get the project done faster. Because at the end of the day, if I can hit my business plan after year one versus year three or year four, that's a different exit opportunity or a different other capital event, which is a refi. So that gets your money back to your investors. It could drastically change your returns. It gives you a better track record. I mean, ultimately, that is your ace in the hole, so to speak, of executing your property. Got it. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, construction manager or which whoever managing that construction budget is can be very, it can uh, gives a lot of benefit in terms of uh, reducing costs and exiting the plan as quickly as possible. So Ed, who should be hiring a construction manager at how many units or what kind of project should they be hiring a construction manager? I like to say that someone on your team should be well-versed in construction if you plan to have any property that is multi-unit, even on a duplex or a quad, a small multifamily, you want to make sure that you are either connected with someone or know someone. Because the example that I like to always say to anyone who has ever owned a house, if you own one house, a single family residence, right, and you've owned it for a year, I don't know anyone who can tell me they've owned a single family residence for a year without needing some sort of work on that house, something. So when you extrapolate that across 100 plus units, across a three to five plus year hold, you're magnifying the need for someone of that skill set. So maybe on the smaller properties, it's easy to like outsource it, outsource it. But when you get to larger properties, and especially when you're taking in investors, I think it becomes more important that you safeguard that person's investment. That's why I think it's really important. It's an added layer of protection for people's, whether it's college funds for their kids, retirement money, generational wealth. It doesn't matter the reason you want to protect their investment. I forget your second part of that question. but Well, second part is like, uh, just like, well, you know, I'm I'm missing that second part as well. But let's go to the next question because that was a long answer. And, and but I have, I have a follow up question to you. I mean, in terms of the most valuable value add, right? In multifamily, I mean, you have done quite a number of construction uh, projects on multifamily. What do you think is the most valuable value add for for high ROI? I used to think that the interiors were. Before I got into multifamily, I used to think that the interiors were the most important part of value add because I thought mm-hmm. that where someone lives, where they sleep at night, where they're raising their family, I thought that was, I was like, okay, that makes the most amount of sense. But the more and more I'm in multifamily and just in real estate in general, I am more of the opposite opinion, which I think the exterior matters way more than the interior. I think mm-hmm. if you have, money to place in certain... And I see that across multiple markets. I think if you were asking me for a specific market, what's the best ROI, that might be a different answer. But in terms of just a general blanket statement, I think people are really concerned of the impression that they give off. I can tell you that I see market after market where the exteriors are stunning and the interiors are horrific and they have the highest occupancy and they're able to collect the highest rent bumps in the market, the highest rents. And then alternatively, I see 
beautiful interiors, but the exteriors are really dated. And those are typically the ones that are maybe a little bit more challenging, but they are definitely not competing with the other properties. And I think the people people don't tend to look to do the exterior because the exterior costs more and it's a huge gamble and they don't see the added value. But ultimately, if you focus on the exterior, you impact the entire property. If you focus on the interior, you're only impacting one unit at a time. So the the bump in ROI is only when you complete an individual unit, whereas bringing people on the property to begin with is can be sometimes the hardest part. That's why uh, even on single family, they always say the exterior matters more than the interior. Getting someone to visit that property, getting someone to tour it, they want to buy it. It's all about the facade. It's all about this illusion of the lifestyle that someone's living. Maybe it's a social proof, I guess, right? You live in a nice house too. You can yeah. show it to others, I guess, right? That's my apartment. It looks really nice, but who cares about the inside, I guess, right? So, Absolutely. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of times, a lot of you know owners who have been doing this very long time, they like to just, I mean, they buy a deal, they just do exterior and they say, interior you know somebody else can do it yeah right and they sell it quickly after they do the exterior maybe you i mean that that's a very interesting perspective that you're able to get high occupancy you may not get high rent bump but you may get high occupancy and stable demographic if you have nice exterior but the rent bump comes from the inside i guess right interiors as well they still have to do both so i think the valuable side is more on the exterior side because that brings in people right absolutely Got it. So let's go to your uh, personal side of it. I mean, um, do you have, I mean, as part of your, you know, venture into single family and multifamily, do you have a a proud moment that you can never forget? One proud moment that is going to be living with you throughout your life? I'm really just proud of the people I work with and I, I partner with. I I've gone through some really challenging things with apartments. And when I talk with other people, when I talk to owners and operators who've been in multifamily for 10 plus years, they haven't even gone through half the things that I've gone through. And in the in the moment, I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? And a bit frustrated, but I think that experience has propelled me to the position that I'm in today. And the fact that I've been through a fire, I've been through gas le- a gas leak in a line where I had to replace an entire line. I've had to replace an entire sewer line from the building out to the street. I've been through multiple plumbing leaks. I've been through roofs coming up. I've been through incidences with the police being involved. I've been through a whole new rebuild of an apartment and a whole host of other things, um, depleting occupancy to 60% and then building it up to hopefully over 90 in less than a year is, is another thing I'm going to be really proud about. And I'm just proud of the people that I work with. I'm really proud of the fact that we take a team approach. We're never pointing fingers. And I also like to think of it, if I had the same opportunity to mastermind with these same people, how excited I would be. So just because I'm the one who's actually living in the moment of what we're talking about in the quote unquote mastermind, I should just think about it in a different perspective. Think about it as I'm I'm having such a great opportunity to learn from the best people in the business and people who are really supportive. Um, I think that opportunity is something I will never forget for the rest of my life that I've had this amazing opportunity to connect with people and to learn from people and to help other people. It's just been something that 
you know, I'm really excited about. And the other thing I'm excited about is something that I do on all of my properties is I really connect with the community. I'm not into changing a property. I'm into changing a community. That is my goal on every single property that I'm a part of is to have an impact on the overall community to whether it's by partnering with local nonprofits or school systems or, you know, helping provide food or gifts to children at holidays really it's important to me to that you can be successful at business a lot of different ways but to be successful and help someone's life is much more rewarding so i really get a lot of joy out of creating change in a community along with helping my investors you know either build or preserve their wealth for whatever reason they were doing it for so i, I just really enjoy helping people yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are all about helping people. We like to improve community and we we have a lot of uh, initiatives that we do in our properties. You know, we give school backpacks uh, when they go to school, back to school. We do mini libraries for all our communities. Yeah. So we do a lot of things to for our communities. I mean, when during COVID also, we helped a lot of people who lost their job and don't have food. You now we usually buy food for them, right? So, so yeah, I mean, it's all about I mean, that's what you and I, you know, think the same, I guess, right? I mean, um, you can make money in many ways, right? But helping people, you know, it's kind of come with you to the to the grave, right? So absolutely. So awesome, Ashley. So why don't you tell our audience about uh, how to get hold of you and how to get in touch with you? Absolutely. You can follow me on badashinvestor.com or badashinvestor.com on the website or badashinvestor on Instagram. On our my website, badashinvestor.com, it actually links to all of my other companies. So if you're interested in learning about multifamily, I have a link there. My multifamily company is Bar Down Investments. So it's very easy. All the traffic just goes through uh, badashinvestor.com. Oh, that's a nice catchy name. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.